This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The progressive conservative government says it is actually intended to protect workers while the public sector unions are taking it as a shot across the bow. One of the last acts of Doug Ford's government before adjourning last week was the tabling of legislation to limit public sector wage hikes to 1% for three years. Right now, let's go to Treasury Board President Peter Bethlen Falvey. Hello, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So how does this protect workers? Well, first, uh, let's put things in context. Uh, you know, government expenditures are about $150 billion, so this is rough. Compensation is roughly half, uh, so it's a big number. And uh, secondly, you know, we inherited a pretty sobering fiscal situation, uh, the largest uh, debt subnational debt uh, in North America and beyond. So uh, what this has done is uh, put uh, a reasonable and fair um, compensation package on the table for to help protect the frontline workers and uh, protect the public sector jobs, and but at the same time allow for reasonable wage increases so that we could do, uh, do our part together to restore fiscal sustainability in Ontario. Uh, what do you say to people? First of all, uh, the unions say this is likely unconstitutional. They're going to challenge you in court, I'm sure. Well, I would say, first of all, I'm not going to speculate on what may happen. Uh, I'll mind your listeners, uh, or maybe point out, we we started the process on April 4th. Uh, we ran seven weeks of tables with, with the unions. Every single major union in the province came to the table. We asked them for their best ideas uh, to help the us with the situation, and there were some good ideas put on the table, um, such as pooling uh, employee benefits to allow for cost savings uh, for employees uh, while retaining those benefits, but then we heard some ideas like raising taxes, and of course we campaigned on not raising taxes, so uh, we tabled the legislation, um, and the process will continue. We tabled it uh, last week. People will be able to provide feedback online. Uh, We'll continue to have dialogue. With the uh, bargaining agents, uh, the, the legislative process will continue through the summer. So um, I think uh, I think that the uh, uh, the process has been fair and reasonable, and we've conducted it in good faith. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, and and this question has opened up on a number of fronts where your government says, oh, yes, we've consulted. We consult all the time. And you just said you asked them for their ideas. But uh, the people on the other end of it say, hey, uh, we had no idea that a, this decision might have been made and, and we weren't warned. And then, boom, uh, you know, there it is. Well, I would challenge that thinking. I mean, I made I gave the speech on April 4th um, to a large audience including the media and including many uh, union uh, members. And uh, I said all options are on the table, um, you know, including, uh, you know, good ideas that they would come forward with. Uh, all options are on the table to help, including legislation to help moderate, uh, you know, wage compensation in this province. So so I was pretty transparent and clear. And I think uh, many, many would, would acknowledge that. 
Okay, well, we will find out shortly. Uh, so uh, this legislation, it was tabled, but it can't become law before the fall, correct? Well, you know, they, we would have to, the legislature has to be sitting, so, so we just tabled it. So it's the process from that point on has just begun. And, and as I said, uh, you know, committees will meet throughout the summer. Uh, MPPs will be in their writing, so there'll be lots of, lots of opportunity for further discussion. The teachers' unions contract are expiring in uh, August. I'm sure the bargaining will start. Is this uh, intended to uh, give them a message or what? Oh, no. What, uh, you know, we, the teachers have been at the bargaining table, and that process will continue. You know, we respect the collective bargaining process. This, this proposed legislation respects the collective bargaining um, process, and, and those discussions will continue. Um, you know, there's, there's literally thousands of uh, collective bargaining agreements in uh, the government conducts, and so it doesn't matter when they start or expire. Uh, it's independent of that. Uh, this, this, uh, the dialogue and the process will continue. Okay, and this affects about a million public sector employees. I mean, there's there's been a lot of pushback to a lot of the things, or some of the things, excuse me, that your government's been doing. I mean, does this set you up? Are you Do you worry at all for... Uh, kind of uh, long-term labor labor strife from one group to another. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I think that what we've tabled here is very fair and, and reasonable, uh, and it helps with the fiscal sustainability. Uh, I, I, I'd remind your listeners that, uh, you know, we're trying to protect jobs here. Uh, this isn't about job cuts. There's no wage freezes. There's no rollbacks. Previous governments have done that. Um, but secondly, this, this moves the wage kind of range by no more than 1% per year or 3% over the next three years, um, you can still move up the salary range. Um, there's still opportunities for compensation growth. So I, I think, uh, I'll come back to it, I think it's, uh, we think it's fair and, and reasonable for, for all workers uh, in the public sector. By the way, who we respect the work that they do. I've got many in my ministry. They work very hard and I'm very proud of the work that they do for the people of Ontario. Okay, and uh, on another note, I, I haven't had a chance to ask you about the recess. Why such a long recess? Well, I think, you know, one, what, what's very important to know, and I've, I've, I've certainly uh, got to, this is my first time being an MPP. Um, MPPs uh, across all stripes work 24-7, whether the House is sitting or not. This gives us an opportunity, all of us, to go spend more time with our constituents, listen to the people, uh, go, go to the front line. I was just, I just did an announcement in, uh, in Clarington this morning, uh, Ontario Power Generation is consolidating all its 12, uh, corporate offices to one corporate office in Clarington and Durham. Uh, we'll be saving, uh, uh, 50% of, uh, about 50% of a $26 million rent base. It'll create a lot more jobs in the region. Uh, it'll attract investment. You know, our job uh, doesn't stop because uh, we're, we're not sitting. I mean, it, it's a 24-7, 365-day job. Yeah, but it is the longest recess in 25 years, and I'm sure you're aware of all the speculation that it has to do with the federal election and kind of keeping a lower profile for your government while that is on. Any truth to that? Well, I, 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 I'm not going to speculate. I mean, uh, the premier at a press conference on Friday said that, uh, you know, we're going to go back and uh, listen to the people and work with our constituents. And, and again, I'll remind your listeners that we passed 20 bills 
uh, unprecedented set for 117 days, longest ever uh, out of the gates of, of any government in recent memory. We've been working tirelessly. Um, so I think the real focus is on uh, we've done a lot. There remains a lot to do, and we're going to be listening to people working closely with our constituents uh, in the next few months uh, until we uh, come back to the legislature in the fall. Okay, thank you so much, Treasury Board President Peter Bethlen-Falvey. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, anytime. Okay, bye-bye. As I said, this legislation cannot become law until the fall, but no doubt it will be top of mind, especially for teachers' unions as their existing agreements expire at the end of August. And I am sure a lot of parents and grandparents out there are wondering, do they have to worry about whether the kids' school year will be disrupted with me in studio, I have President Harvey Bischoff of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, so first of all, let's tackle this consultation thing. And as I said, this happens on all kinds of files. The Treasury Board president says you were consulted. Uh, he made a speech in April and you're saying, no, you weren't. Oh, no, I, I'm not saying we weren't consulted. Indeed, um, we did send staff to participate in, in the consultation, and we told them very clearly that these are matters to be dealt with at the negotiating table. They're not matters to be dealt with by uh, by legislation. So so while Minister Bethlen-Falvey seems to think the fact that he announced a consultation on April the 4th means that we should have known the outcome, only the government knows in advance the outcome of its consultations because the consultations themselves are clearly a sham. They've They've predetermined the outcome. Uh-huh. And so were you totally sideswiped by this announcement? Well, I, we certainly were to this extent. Um, we were at the negotiating table on Wednesday when uh, when this legislation dropped. We didn't hear about the government's intention with regard to, uh, um, you know, a, a compensation cap from the people across the table from it, from us. We heard about it through social media. That's no way to negotiate it. If we can't trust that the people across the table from us will tell us what the government's plans are or potentially maybe even don't know what the government's plans are, how do you bargain with, with somebody on those circumstances? So, yeah, really, it really did uh, take us by surprise. Okay, well... The thing in itself, limiting compensation to 1%, the government would save uh, 700 and, I don't know, 20 or $80 million for each 1%. What's the problem with that? The problem is the process where... Um where collective bargaining isn't respected. The way to come to uh, a fair agreement is one that's it's mutually agreed by both parties at the table. So you sit down, everything's on the table, you sort through those. Um, there are compromises and trade-offs. And in the end, um, both sides have the opportunity to ratify. So my members, for example, have the opportunity to vote and say, yes, this is, this is an appropriate agreement. Um, what they've done in this case is just take a large component of the collective bargaining process and impose it by by legislative fiat, and that's not a fair process, um, and and it's one that that upsets the entire apple cart when it comes to to bargaining even other matters. It's happened before. 
It has happened before. Indeed, in, in 2012, uh, the Liberal government imposed terms and conditions on my members through Bill 115. Um, and we challenged that imposition in Superior Court in Ontario. We won that case. Uh, the government's actions were found to be a violation of my members' freedom of association, which essentially is the, the right to bargain collectively. Um, and they were required to negotiate a remedy uh, with us. So what the what the court said and what the Supreme Court has said at other times is collective bargaining is a right that exists under Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms and governments uh, aren't free to simply override that. Uh, so what is, are you suing them again, I'm assuming? Well, we don't yet have legislation in place. Yeah. Uh, what we've done is taken the draft legislation, which may, may well change in some uh, some fashion before it's before it's passed ultimately, but certainly we've sent the draft legislation off to council and we'll have them take a look at us at it and advise us on on a path forward. Um, you know, at this point, without uh, uh, a formal opinion from our lawyers, we can only speculate about the outcome. But we have reason to believe that it's that it may um, it may be a violation of of my members' rights. Oh. What does this do to you as you bargain? I mean, do you put it in your head? I, I mean, I, that would it make you limit your demands or increase your demands? Uh? It makes it very difficult to figure out a path forward. In fact, in in negotiations, it's most unfortunate. You know, the the minister um, invited us to the bargaining table, and we accepted that invitation at the first available opportunity on the very first day that we could serve notice to bargain. We did so. We went to the table as quickly as they were willing to meet us there, um, and we are prepared to. Um, put items on the table that are good for Ontario's students and good for Ontario's uh, future economy when we continue to graduate the high-quality students that we currently do, um, who move into Ontario's workforce and, and support Ontario's prosperity. We would like to think that there's a partner on the other side of the table that's willing to, uh, in good faith, enter into those discussions. But they've demonstrated that there is no good faith here when you when you just drop uh, the legislative hammer on bargaining before it's even really up and running. Um, what's next? What part of the of what should be negotiated at that table will be subject to to the next bill that the government drops? Who knows? When are your members in a strike position? Um, well, two separate things here. The contracts expire at the end of August. Um, to get into a strike position requires one side or the other to take certain steps. So, so you have to, um, go through the steps in the Labor Relations Act, um, you know, without getting too, uh, technical, but you have to file for conciliation. The conciliator has to issue a report. The members have to have voted in favor of taking strike action if required. Um, and so that doesn't happen. There's nothing, um, automatic in terms of a trigger date. It's, it's it's having followed a process at the same time on the employer side, they can follow a similar process that allows them to change the terms and conditions in a contract. So again, should people be, is it possible that the next school year will be disrupted? People should be concerned that a government hasn't sat down um, in, in good faith in the same way that we have. You know, like I said, we got to the table as quickly as we could. We, we have, are prepared to negotiate items that are good for students and the government instead turns around and, and, uh, interferes legislatively. And that cannot 
that doesn't contribute to a productive atmosphere at the bargaining table or productive problem solving. And it only makes disruption more rather than less likely. And that's unfortunate when we were prepared to enter into these discussions. Let me ask you this. You know, um, and this is very unscientific. It's, it's what we get here on our show and in the street. And, you know, people seem to be when, when you say, okay, we're going to freeze the wages of public sector workers. A lot of people say, sure, let's do it. Those people have great benefits. They're, uh, they have better working conditions, more stable work than the rest of us in the private sector. I don't know if there's some jealousy involved there, but it, you know, it, I don't think that this is a particularly unpopular move on the part of the government. I think the government would love to see working people fighting amongst themselves rather than taking a close look at what they're doing. And this is a government that had enough money to give uh, their wealthy friends tax breaks. They have money for um, for corporate tax breaks. They're willing to risk a billion dollars on their uh, on a potential beer store lawsuit. Um but they're saying that working people, including my members, not all of whom are, are teachers. So, so I have members who are education assistants making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. They're saying that those people not only uh, can't uh, can't be allowed to bargain in good faith, they can't be allowed to have uh, have compensation increases that match the rate of inflation. So they're telling my members who are who are you know not exactly living high on the government hog. Um, that uh, that they need to fall behind inflation even further, that their bargaining power needs, or sorry, that their buying power needs to go down over the next three years when they already have fallen behind inflation since 2012. That's that's the the reality. The context is I, I appreciate there's there's a, uh, an understanding uh, amongst a portion of the public that uh, that public sector and the broader public sector employees um, you know have have. Uh, done very well over the past several years. In fact, private sector increases have outpaced public sector significantly, and the public sector has fallen well behind inflation. And and um, that's a hard argument to make. I, I understand that. But we do have to provide the real fiscal context in which we're working. Okay, again, uh, you know, how do you, if that's just a perception, how do you fight that perception? Well, I guess I uh, appear, and um, you know, uh, when I'm given the opportunity uh, on shows like this, but it, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I would imagine so. Uh, and um, again, uh, you know, how do you proceed from this then? In terms of, of a bargaining strategy, we're definitely going to have to... Um, have to step back and consider how we go forward in the most productive way possible. We're right now in a very technical stage of bargaining. Um, bargaining in the education sector is a bit peculiar. It involves um, um, two tiers, central and local table negotiations. We're in the process right now of determining what are central table items, items that will be negotiated directly um, at that central table that applies then to all of my members across the province. Um, and we don't have agreement with the other side of the table on that. So we go forward to the labor board who will issue a ruling on what's central and what's local. So right now we're in that that very technical phase, but we're going to be moving forward to a more substantive phase of bargaining and how we approach that when the government has has um, interfered uh, in this fashion um, is a is an open question right now. Another thing that people bring up, and I know that it's not strictly your union, but 
for instance, school boards, a lot of waste of money at school boards. And say this story that came out a few weeks ago that uh, the Toronto District School Board ordered top-of-the-line iPhones for members, uh, and when it came out, they canceled the contract for millions of dollars. At the same time, they were sending out layoff notices to teachers. That's something that people kind of really relate to. So, I mean, not my job to defend the Toronto District School Board, but the facts of that case were rather different than were reported. Um, they'd gone through a, through a request for a proposal and, and had determined not they weren't going down that road well before it became a public matter um, and never would have paid that amount um, uh, f- for those items anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from that, the fact is we did enter into consultations with the government, and we offered them ways of saving money. We don't say that there are no ways to make improvement in the education system. Um, So we said, look, uh, we are too frequently involved in an expensive litigation process with boards over grievance arbitration. We think there are more efficient and effective ways of dealing with that. We offered that as a suggestion. We said the uh, school board's collective bargaining Act itself creates a a cumbersome and unnecessarily expensive process, and there are amendments that could be made um, to that that would uh, that would uh, be more more cost efficient. The government took us up on absolutely none of our proposals for where savings could be found to be reinvested into frontline workers who work face to face with students every day and support their learning. And instead, they've taken they've taken this approach, and that tells you that. Um, the intention isn't really about efficiency and effectiveness on behalf of Ontario students. It's it's an ideological attack on public sector workers. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that that's out there in the public as well, an ideological attack? I, I'm not sure I understand the question. I well, I mean, you're saying you're accusing the government of an ideological attack. And I'm saying, is, is that something, are they uh, picking up on something that is out there? In the public, oh, I think there have been times when it's been popular to try to divide workers um, one from another, and and the government's trying to play on that. I think in this case, it's working less well than the government would have hoped. I think there's a, a general understanding that public services provide great value uh, to Ontario society, um, and that this kind of this government's attacks and cuts um, have not been have not been popular and. The polling numbers certainly point us in that direction. I mean, for a premier to get to, uh, as of a few weeks ago, a minus 42% net approval rating in less than a year in office, it's, there's a remarkable efficiency being exercised there. Do you have plans? Uh, you know, the federal election is upon us. Do you have plans for how you'll participate in that? Um not specifically with regard to the federal election at this time. I mean, we certainly have our plates full with um, with a provincial government that's uh, engaged in the in the kind of legislative interference with bargaining that they're currently engaged in. Um, you know, additionally, and this is really important because the government would like us to be talking about this this bill. What they don't want us to talk about is the fact that they are moving to slash one quarter of Ontario's high school teaching positions over the next four years. That means slashing a quarter of the course choices that students currently have in Ontario's high schools. They won't have access to specialized programs. They won't have access to smaller classes. Um, It'll be difficult for them to get even the courses that they need in order to earn their high school graduation diplomas. They don't want us talking about that. Okay. Uh, In 20 seconds, what would you like to leave us with? 
Um, we're going to do our best to um, put forward proposals that are good for Ontario's students um, and uh, hope that the government be willing to engage in that conversation, although they haven't sent a good signal most recently. Okay, thank you so much, Harvey Bischoff, president of the OSSTF. Appreciate your time. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.